Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the audio reading of the Salisbury Pediatric Newsletter, Volume 11, Issue Number 27. I am your reader, Dr. Christopher Magrida, and I look forward to giving you as much information as I can, as this week we're going to be looking at coronavirus. However, before we get started, let me do the obligatory disclaimer. The information provided in this newsletter is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional, and is not to be used to diagnose or treat a healthcare issue. I really appreciate y'all. So we're gonna go over coronavirus update number 38. Pretty hard to imagine we're already at number 38, but nonetheless we are. So a couple of the poll questions are back. 16 months out, are you still practicing improved lifestyle choices to reduce infectious risks? And the great news is 92% of the respondents said yes. Second question was, have you or are you planned to vaccinate your teenager? And this was a dead split at 53%. Let's look at the statistics. The United States is now past 65% of its over 18-year-old population having been vaccinated with at least one dose and 45% of all Americans fully vaccinated. The number of vaccinated and or previously infected Americans is now a very large number. And cases continue to be flatlined naturally, which is great news. We have, no, we have had no positive cases in our office in Salisbury for weeks, which is the first since the pandemic began. 150 million Americans are fully vaccinated with most being higher risk. 177 million have had at least one dose. And good news is the vaccines continue to drastically reduce the risk of death and hospitalization. North Carolina now has 81% of its individuals over 65 years of age fully vaccinated and 41% of the total population, but we have appeared to stall at that point. No sign that any of the variants have found a way around the vaccines, which again appears to be great news, including the Delta variant from India. As it stands today, the United States has unfortunately had 33.5 million cases and 601,000 deaths. The good news is that's a significant slowdown of only 4,000 deaths over the last two weeks. There is still no change in the knowledge that more than 80% of deaths are skewed towards the over 55 age group and 95% of those deaths are from comorbid diseases. If you have had the vaccine, you are mathematically now 99.9998% chance survival as a coronavirus exposed person. So if you get in a car and you're not worried about that and you haven't been vaccinated, there's some questions you have to ask yourself there. All right, let's get into the meat of it. So just when you think that the information on SARS-2 is slowing to a crawl, there's a great new discovery. And one of my favorite researchers published a nice article uh, this week Dr. Alessio Fasano, he's featured in number six below. When we get to that, you'll understand why. It's a little science heavy, but I highly encourage you to wait for it because there's a lot of data that's very interesting and very important for multi-inflammatory syndrome in children. All right, let's get to the quick hits. Number one, CDC data on adolescent hospitalizations. COVID-19 adolescent hospitalization rates from COVID-net peaked at 2.1 per 100,000 in early 2021 January declined to 0.6 in mid-March and rose again to 1.3 in April. Among hospitalized adolescents, nearly one-third required intensive care unit admission and 5% required invasive mechanical and ventilation. No associated deaths occurred. 70.6% of those adolescents in this study, whose primary reason for hospitalizations was COVID-19 associated illness, had at least one underlying medical condition. 
which is lower than the percentage of hospitalized adults with an underlying condition at 92%. Nearly 30% of these adolescents had no reported underlying medical condition, indicating that healthy adolescents are also at some risk for severe COVID-19-associated disease. The good news is not death. In addition, approximately two-thirds of adolescents hospitalized with COVID-19 were Hispanic or non-Hispanic African-American persons. Consistent with studies showing an increased incidence of COVID-19 among racial and ethnic minority populations and signifying an urgent need to ensure equitable access to vaccines for these groups. First, the primary reasons for hospital admission was not always clear and some 45.7% of adolescents who met the COVID net case definition were hospitalized for reasons that might not be primarily related to COVID-19, despite a positive SARS-CoV-2 test from a laboratory. These hospitalizations were included in rate calculations, thus rates of hospitalization for COVID-19 might be overestimated. This is directly from the CDC MMWR from June 4th. So let's unpack all this. When you do a deeper dive into this data, you see that 70 plus percent of the risk adolescent, the risk of adolescent disease occurred in obese young adolescents, asthmatic young adolescents, which is again leading to us understanding that inflammation is the primary driver of a negative COVID reaction. The median length of hospital stay was only 2.4 days, with some of that being intensive care unit activity, but zero deaths and the absolute number is really small. They did not break out which groups ended up in the ICU. However, based on the adult data, most, if not all, were likely suffering from an underlying condition or two. We cannot rule out that adolescents with genetic mutations and viral surveillance killing and immune expansion were in this at-risk group, though. My take-home point from this data is this. Number one, SARS-2 is worse than influenza for adolescents, but the absolute number is still extremely low. Number two, if your adolescent children are obese, have asthma, cancer, diabetes, neurologic disease, blood disorders, immune deficiency, or metabolic dysfunction of any kind, please have them vaccinated. Number three, this is absolutely the time to start getting your family entrenched in improved lifestyle choices, specifically targeting inflammation, as discussed in the links at the newsletter in the beginning. Okay, on to quick hits number two, the variants. SARS-2 version B1.617.2 Delta is emerging as a new troublemaker. First seen in India in December of last year and getting a lot of popular press right now, it is rapidly spreading in the United Kingdom and the western states of the United States. Early data from the Delta variant is showing an increased transmissibility, maybe 40 to 60% higher than the original strain from Wuhan, and maybe slightly more morbid in the unvaccinated population, but that's still under study. The mRNA vaccines appear to be working quite well with a Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine showing 88% efficacy against symptomatic disease from the Delta variant after two doses. This comes from the UK.gov. So far, the trouble is only increased transmission against the unvaccinated and the poor responders to the vaccine. However, the vaccine still appears to be incredibly useful against hospitalization and death. I have not seen any data that children are at significantly increased risk there are still no SARS-2 variants of high concern leading to reductions in vaccine function or significantly increased mortality, and this continues to be great news. Number three, long COVID. Quote, of 9,751 total participants, 5,266 of those, or 54%, were male. 30 of 45 studies reported mean or median ages younger than 60 years. Among 16 studies, most of which comprised participants who were previously hospitalized, the median proportion of individuals experiencing at least one persistent symptom was 72.5%. Individual symptoms occurring 
most frequently included shortness of breath or dyspnea, 36%, fatigue or exhaustion, 40%, and sleep disorders or insomnia, 29.4%. This comes from Nasseri et al., 2021. The male preponderance is interesting and aligned with higher frequency of autoimmune antibodies to gamma interferon and lower testosterone levels being associated with increased risk for men of a worse COVID disease than females. The more robust the inflammatory response, the more cellular damage that follows, increasing the risk for autoimmune antibody production, which is likely tied to more chronic COVID disease type symptoms. Number four, German panel recommends COVID-19 vaccine only for children with pre-existing conditions based on all the current data. This comes from Reuters article. This is in direct contrast to the United States recommendations to vaccinate all children over the age of 12 years from the CDC webpage. The disparity follows from different perspectives on risk for children and the pandemic as a whole. The German approach clearly feels that children are low risk in general, and it is not worth taking the risk of a vaccine side effect, whereas the CDC feels the opposite. I tend to agree with the German approach as long-term safety data is still years away. For an excellent look at this topic, see the article by Dr. Martin McCary, spelled M-A-K-A-R-Y, in MedPage today. He states, quote, returning to the discussion of COVID-19 risk to kids, ages 0 to 12 years of age right now, it's worth aggregating the best available data to date in reviewing the medical literature and the news reports and in talking to pediatricians across the country. I am not aware of a single healthy child in the United States who has died from COVID-19 to date. To investigate further, my research team at Johns Hopkins partnered with FAIR Health to study pediatric COVID-19 deaths using approximately half of the nation's health insurance data. We found that 100% of pediatric COVID-19 deaths were in children with one pre-existing condition, solidifying the case to vaccinate any child with a comorbid disease. Given that the risk of a healthy child dying is between zero and infinitesimally rare, it's understandable that many parents are appropriately asking why vaccinate healthy kids at all. To those parents, I would say, The primary reason to give a healthy child the vaccine may not be to save their life. It is to prevent the multi-system inflammatory disease syndrome, MISC, which can be painful and have long-term health sequelae. According to the CDC, there have been 4,018 cases of MISC after COVID-19, with the average age being nine years old. A total of 36 children have died from MISC. Cases of MISC were heavily skewed towards minority children, with 62% of them being Hispanic, Latino, or African American, likely due to disproportionate disproportionate rates of childhood obesity and chronic condition in these populations. This finding, again, supports COVID-19 vaccination in any child with a medical condition, including being overweight. Marty McCary, 2021. My take on point is this. If your child has a chronic health condition, including obesity, diabetes, asthma, lung disease, hypertension, any type of cancer, immune defect, kidney disease, neurologic disease, cardiac disease, or any other known chronic health condition, then I would highly recommend the mRNA vaccine for MISC and general mortality possibility. Another opinion piece by Dr. Marty McCary in the Wall Street Journal you can find in the newsletter that talks about post-infectious immunity. All right, number five. The Cleveland Clinic Health System studied their employees over a six-month period from December 2020 to May 2021 for COVID infections. They had them grouped by previous infections to SARS-2 with and without vaccine, as well as no previous infection with and without vaccine. They state, quote, 
Among the 52,238 included employees, 1,359 or 53% of the 2579 previously infected subjects remained unvaccinated, compared with 22,777, 41% of the 49,659 not previously infected. The cumulative incidence of SARS-CoV-2 infection remained almost zero among previously infected unvaccinated subjects. Previously infected subjects who were vaccinated and previously uninfected subjects who were vaccinated compared with a steady increase in cumulative incidence among previously uninfected subjects who remain unvaccinated. Not one of the 1,359 previously infected subjects who remained unvaccinated had a SARS-CoV-2 infection over the duration of the study, end quote. That is by Sresta et al. 2021. Thus, the take-home point here is, having had the virus prior and or vaccinated is a key to why we are seeing flatline pandemic in the United States. Number six, this is the most important part of this newsletter this week. Multi-inflammatory system in children is associated with poor intestinal function from a microbiome perspective. Now, for all of you to remember, the microbiome is all of the bugs, specifically bacteria primarily, that reside within our intestine that have health effects, good and bad, in our lives. So Dr. Alessio Fasano, who is a researcher at Harvard, has shown direct evidence of intestinal permeability in children with multi-inflammatory syndrome. And that is interesting news. I have a couple of bullet points here. They looked at 100 children, 19 of which um, with MISC, 26 of which with COVID-19 and 55 controls. They analyzed the stool for SARS-2 presence by PCR or polymerase chain reaction. They analyzed the blood for zonulin and other chemicals that would indicate intestinal mucosal breakdown. They further analyzed the blood for the spike protein as well as the markers of immune inflammatory response, which when elevated is the hallmark of MISC. The paper notes that there is increased knowledge that the intense, excuse me, that the intestine serves as ground zero for SARS-2 COVID disease in adults, and that in severe cases, microbial dysbiosis, otherwise known as abnormal bacterial makeup, and the disruption of the gastrointestinal barrier drive inflammatory activation. MISC in children is delayed for weeks after initial infection when the virus is no longer found in the nose respiratory tract, making the source of the virus a different replication location in MISC. They showed that weeks after initial infection, they could isolate RNA for SARS-2 in the intestine. There, the virus causes intestinal inflammation and permeability, leading to spike proteins leaking into the bloodstream, triggering the inflammatory immune response, leading to system-wide damage. Most therapies, including steroids and IVIG, otherwise known as pooled immune globulin, are not clearing the spike protein from the blood, pointing to the inability of current therapies to address the virus at the gut level, as they are only addressing the downstream inflammation, not the upstream generator of that inflammation. The final bullet point, in the study, there was one 17-month-old child who they used a drug called lorazotide, a zonulin antagonist, which blocks the leaky gut. And the investigational therapy used in this case to block the zonulin peptide was increasing the intestinal tight junction permeability, looking for reduction in spike protein in the blood and a corresponding inflammatory reduction. This did occur as hoped, and the clinical resolution was significantly improved and hastened. This comes from Yonker et al. 2021. Now, remember also from two weeks ago, after listening to a discussion with Dr. Ed Behrens from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia regarding this multi-inflammatory syndrome in children, 
It appears to be the case that certain individuals have genetic mutations putting them at risk for immune dysregulation, whereby the chemokine CXCL9, the response to gamma interferon after being infected with SARS-2 is upregulated due to missing repressor proteins in this inflammatory cascade. This leads to elevated immune activation, very reminiscent of macrophage activation syndrome. In other words, many children will respond to SARS-2 with normal and appropriate gamma interferon protein responses to attack and kill the virus. CXCL9 is a signaling molecule that then goes out and recruits more white blood cells to enter the fray and fight SARS-2. When the virus is killed, there are repressor proteins that should show up and stop this whole inflammatory response. And this does occur in 99.9% of our children. The rare child with this genetic mutation cannot shut off this process, leading to inflammatory sequelae seen in COVID-19. Okay, let's unpack all of this for MISC. One, this is clearly a disease occurring in individuals with prior comorbidities, putting them at baseline risk for inflammation. Two, there is genetic predisposition in some individuals to be missing a gene to suppress the immune inflammatory response once it starts. Three, dysbiosis or poorly balanced intestinal bacteria are risk factors for MISC and dysbiosis is clearly caused by poor decisions in lifestyle, specifically diet. Four, we cannot change genetic risk for a negative outcome, but we can absolutely change our decisions that promote dysbiosis and chronic health decay. Okay, yet again, here we are seeing data pointing to our own personal control of our health outcomes. We can, as parents, make the following decisions to reduce our risk of getting MISC for our children. Number one, no matter what happens in the past, clean up your child's diet by switching to an anti-inflammatory diet, a Whole30 style diet, or some other diet that is not processed, has whole foods in it, predominantly fruits and vegetables. A highly processed modern American diet is the most important antecedent trigger in my mind of dysbiosis and intestinal permeability, and that is supported by the literature. Number two, if you plan to have a child soon, breastfeed your infant from birth and practice healthy weight gain during pregnancy to set the stage for a healthy child's microbiome. The pre-pregnant time is a perfect time to practice an anti-inflammatory diet. Number three, get adequate sleep based on age requirements. For most kids, that's about eight to 10 hours nightly. This will help with reducing sleep-deprived immune activation. Four, Practice chemical and toxin avoidance by avoiding the consumption of unnecessary drugs that affect the gut lining, including antacids, antibiotics, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medicines. These medicines will negatively affect the intestinal microflora, balance promoting dysbiosis. Five, practice mental health stress reduction through prayer, meditation, art therapy, counseling, and more. Six, Exercise and move often, stimulating gut motility and evacuation, which prevents constipation and small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which leads to dysbiosis. Seven, link to the many articles on healing gut biome can be found in the newsletter if you want to read further. Okay, moving on to quick hits number seven. SARS-2 MISC incidence was noted to be as follows. MISC incidence was 316 persons per 1 million SARS-CoV-2 infections in persons younger than 21 years of age. So you look at that number, that's pretty small. Black, Hispanic, Latino, Asian persons had higher risk as well as younger persons compared to older persons. This is all from Pain et al. 2021. 
The reasoning behind the ethnicity difference is likely poverty-based, but not completely proven yet. The younger age predilection is similar to Kawasaki's disease and other inflammatory viral-based diseases of childhood. The immune system must be more prone to dysfunction of the inflammatory type at less than five years of age range. This is very interesting. We learned from number six above that dysbiosis is the main driver of risk and dysbiosis increases with age, making this issue a little unsettling. Genetic mutations and chemokine suppression activity are associated, but that is not an age-dependent issue. Gut dysbiosis is associated and partially causal, but cannot be the main issue based on age predilection. So clearly there's more to come in understanding why MISC is a uh, a significant problem in the under five-year-old age range. Number eight, more evidence that surviving COVID if you have severe disease becomes an arduous journey. In the journal Nature, one of the more premier journals in the country, we see large sampling of post-COVID sequelae from Veterans Affairs database. Many organ systems remain compromised following infection, including the lungs, brains, and kidneys. This comes from Ziad et al. 2021. The mounting data supports the belief that being unhealthy pre-COVID equals more unhealthy post-COVID. SARS-2 COVID-19 has been the best eye-opener in recent decades to the negative effects of our behavior on our long-term health. Okay, that completes the review of the quick hits from this week for coronavirus. All right, section two. Happy Father's Day to all the men that give of their time while they muster the courage to practice temperance and provide for the protection and mental nourishment of their children's souls. Although it is just a day, I do smile at the beauty of being a father. I still remember the smell of my newborn son's skin while I marveled at the miracle of his birth. Then again when my daughter blessed me. From child to young adult to father, we follow paths hoping that we will live up to the ideals of character and fortitude in the face of adversity that always follows the parent role. We love, we laugh, we cry, we struggle, we learn, we try, we pray, we hope, we live, and then repeat in perpetuity. Being a father has been a pleasure and a journey. I have learned to ask for forgiveness when I make a mistake. I have learned to temper my frustration. I have learned to speak from my heart even when angry and resolutely sitting in my head. I have learned that we are all on this journey together. I have learned that being a father means making the hard choice more often than not. I have learned that my children do not need to be given to get and taught to learn. I have learned that my children are beautiful souls looking for guidance while they test the electric fence. I've learned that they love me and I love them more than they will ever know. And for this, I thank God. I mean, I truly thank God. But what I've learned the most is this. Time heals all things. And my job is to provide as much love as I am able to give. So here's a toast to all fathers everywhere. God bless you for giving, loving, and being for them. All right, folks, that concludes this week's audio reading of the newsletter, volume 11, issue number 27, the coronavirus update number 38. And as always, I hope this information is useful to you as you move through life without fear, loving, and hugging your kids as often as you can.